Hi all, welcome to another episode in the Leading Safely podcast and welcome back after that short break for Easter. I hope you all had a safe and lovely few days off if you were able to have a few days off. I also hope that none of you are sitting here listening to me still in a chocolate coma. I had a nice little break. Our son turned three on the same day that my father turned 81, so we had a lot to celebrate. Anyways, as some of you know, I am back at university for the first time in close to 15 years, doing my graduate certificate in safety leadership through Griffith University. The program is overseen and run by or sponsored by, I have no idea how to categorise it, but basically it's overseen by Professor Sydney Decker. Now recently we ran through the topic of safety culture, and I'm pretty certain that Sydney referred to the notion of measuring safety culture as mumbo jumbo. It started an internal debate inside my head about the topic, and I thought, what a great little podcast subject. So today, I will be talking about the notion and posing the question of, can you effectively measure an organisation's safety culture? To begin the episode, let's first understand what is meant by safety culture, and also what the two kind of perceptions are of a safety culture. So the International Nuclear Safety Advisory Group, also known as INSAG, is a group of nuclear safety experts under the International Atomic Energy Agency. In response to several nuclear accidents, most notably the 1986 Chernobyl disaster, INSAG developed a series of recommendations to improve the safety of nuclear installations. One of the key concepts introduced by INSAG was the idea of safety culture. In 1991, INSAG published a report titled Safety Culture, also known as INSAG 4, which provided a definition and guidance on developing a strong safety culture within organisations operating nuclear facilities. The report defines safety culture as that assembly of characteristics and attitudes in organisations and individuals which establishes that as an overriding priority nuclear plant safety issues receive the attention warranted by their significance. The concept of safety culture was introduced to emphasise the importance of organisational and individual attitudes, values and behaviours in ensuring the safety of nuclear installations. A strong safety culture is vital for preventing accidents and maintaining a high level of safety performance in nuclear facilities. In the context of the 1991 INSAG report, the safety culture concept was a reaction to the lessons learned from the Chernobyl accident, which highlighted the need for organisations to prioritise safety. The accident had revealed significant shortcomings in the Soviet nuclear power industry, including insufficient attention to safety, inadequate communication and a lack of transparency. INSAG 4 outlined several key elements of safety culture, including leadership and commitment from management, individual responsibility and accountability, open communication and feedback, learning culture and continuous improvement, safety conscious work environment, and clear policies and procedures. The report emphasised that establishing and maintaining a strong safety culture is a continuous process and requires the commitment of all levels of the organisation, from top management to individual employees. Since the publication of INSAG 4, the concept of safety culture has been widely adopted 
and has expanded beyond the nuclear industry to include other high-risk industries such as aviation, chemical and oil and gas. So now that you have a bit of an understanding about how safety culture came about and what it was originally defined as, as I'm no means saying that there aren't holes in that definition, because there are, let's take a look at the two kinds of approaches and views on safety culture. So the first view is a functionalist approach. So the functionalist approach assumes that organisations have a single shared safety culture that can be objectively measured and analysed. It focuses on the structure and systems within the organisation, with the belief that a strong safety culture can be achieved by implementing appropriate policies, procedures and management systems. A functionalist approach emphasises the role of management in establishing a safety culture and assumes that employees will conform to the organisation's norms and values. It relies on quantitative methods such as surveys and questionnaires to measure and assess safety culture, and this allows for comparisons across different organisations and industries. A functionalist approach also aims to identify best practices and develop standardised models that can be applied universally to improve safety performance. The second type of approach is called the interpretivist approach, and it assumes that safety culture is a complex, subjective phenomenon that is influenced by individual perceptions, interpretations and experiences. It recognises that there may be multiple coexisting subcultures within an organisation, reflecting the diverse perspectives of different groups and individuals. An interpretivist approach focuses on understanding the social processes, interactions and meanings that shape safety culture, rather than simply examining the formal structures and systems in place. Finally, an interpretivist approach emphasises the importance of dialogue, communication and negotiation among organisational members to create a shared understanding of safety and develop that strong safety culture. It relies on qualitative methods such as interviews, observations and documented analysis to explore the nuances and complexities of safety culture in specific contexts and aims to develop a deeper understanding of those factors that influence it and to identify context-specific strategies for improvement. In summary, the functionalist approach to safety culture is much more focused on the structural and systemic aspects of an organisation, with the belief that a strong safety culture can be achieved through implementation of appropriate policies and procedures. The interpretivist approach, on the other hand, recognises the subjective and complex nature of safety culture and seeks to understand how social processes and interactions shape an organisation's safety values and practices. It's important to note here that while these approaches are often contrasted, they can also be complementary, providing a more comprehensive understanding of safety culture and how to improve it within specific organisational contexts. For me, what I have witnessed throughout my career is mainly a functionalist approach, with a few very special organisations taking on a slightly interpretive approach. What I've also seen and been a part of time and time again is cultural surveys, Big consultancy firms will come in and conduct an assessment. Now, I know you can't physically see me when I say assessment. Um, I'm saying that while I'm moving my hands as inverted commas. That's because for me, what makes a safety culture is not quantitative at all. It cannot be mapped on a graph or a sphere or provided colours of red or green. And those colours or your organisation's pinpoint on the circle of life cannot be taken as evidence for the level nor quality of your safety culture. 
To add to it, there is this idea that if you have a great safety culture, then your organisation will not have any events or incidents. And what we've learnt is that this simply isn't the case. My view is that culture is something that develops and is emergent. It's not something that can be broken down into items and understood via a survey monkey or an email questionnaire. If your organisation signs up to the belief that safety culture is all about behaviours and attitudes, then what they are implying is there is actually correct beliefs and correct attitudes, which means the problem is with the worker. And if we could only convince them to see things differently, then we would have a better safety culture. The other thing that I will say about safety culture is that it is dynamic and evolving and changes from minute to minute, day to day. Just because on that Monday, three months ago, when Johnny from big consultancy firm interviewed you and all the other employees, everyone's collective opinions place the organisation in the green zone for their safety culture, does not mean that right now it is not a hard or flatline red. Every conversation, every interaction, every disagreement, every demonstration, reward or recognition that occurs minute to minute impacts on that safety culture and changes it consistently and constantly. So here is what I think in answer to the question for this episode, which is can you effectively measure an organization's safety culture? I think effectively measuring a safety culture would be extremely difficult. Like any science experiment, having uniformity and norms would be too hard. I think there has been way too much focus on executive leaders wanting to change the culture. And I think rather than taking a big stick to the workforce by saying you want to change the culture, which implies it's currently bad, executives and leaders instead should say, I want to learn from my people. Not only when things are going wrong, but when things are going right and well. Find out why they are going well. Allow your workers to make choices that impact their health and safety, including the ways that tasks are completed, the ways components interact with each other, the ways risks are mitigated. Listen to them, be curious, and ask more and better questions around what's dangerous about their work, what's different, what's dumb, what's difficult. Declutter, decentralise and devolve where you can. I believe it's crucial for leaders to shift their focus from merely trying to change the culture to actively engaging with their workforce in a collaborative and supportive manner. By seeking to learn from workers understanding the factors that contribute to success and empowering them to make choices that impact their health and safety, leaders can create a more resilient and adaptable organisation. By embracing curiosity and asking meaningful questions, and promoting decentralization and devolution, we can foster an environment where continuous learning and improvement thrive. For me, this is the approach that will ultimately lead to a stronger, more effective safety culture that benefits everyone involved. So that brings us to the close of another episode. I would love to hear your thoughts, though, on whether we can effectively measure a safety culture. So please do feel free to reach out to me via LinkedIn, comment on the post, or via my website, www.leadingsafely.com.au. Until next time, stay safe. Stay safe.